Take a deep breath, take the higher road That's what they always say, as if they know the way They won't take it from me But don't ever doubt yourself, it's life ain't just a dream You make your own, so kick and scream The people will like with a never-ending force You never had the chance, so what you waiting for? The day has come, my friend, cause this is war Welcome to Nurses Out Loud. Today we have a special show for you with Nurse Michelle and Nurse Kimberly. Nurse Michelle is your Thursday host and Nurse Kimberly is your Wednesday host. If you guys are listening to this live on air, you'll notice that I am not Nurse Michelle. I am your Friday host, Nurse Jody O'Malley. But Nurse Michelle was vacationing up in Maine and had an accident, which required her to be a patient in the hospital. She is with us today on her post-op day one, and I'll let her share her story with you. But guys, we wanted to go live with Nurse Michelle while she is a patient in the hospital and get her account of what it's like to be a patient and you know how hospital protocol is still happening and it's and it's a little crazy but she's going to share her story as an advocate um a little bit of background on nurse michelle she came on the scene um really bold uh she is a retired nurse and she found herself, I believe it was in 2020 or 2021, as a COVID patient in the hospital. And she was really fighting very hard to be an advocate for herself. And she felt as though if I am having this hard of a time advocating for myself, then what is it like for regular people? And so she went on social media, created an account and blew up. She has tens of thousands of followers because she started sharing early treatment protocols by even some of our own amazing doctors like Dr. McCullough and really helped people. So that's why, you know, nurse Michelle, uh, because she was bold and she was courageous and she belongs on nurses out loud. Uh, Nurse Kimberly actually just did a show on Wednesday this week, um, Do No Harm, the Clifton Dolly story. And I have also shared stories of what it was like for people to be um, be their family members with their loved ones. And so I'll share those links in this show so that you can go back and listen to us. But as always, Make sure whatever platform you're hearing us on now that you like it and you review it and you most of all share it. That is like an amen to us. Okay. We love it when people share the out loud truth. And so with that, I want to welcome on the show, nurse Michelle first, and she is the hospital patient on post-op day one. Hello, Michelle. (laughs) Hey there. I didn't know that I'd even get to put a show out today. I'm so thankful that Jody 
took over this show opportunity and here I am not overly medicated, able to get on here with you. I'm thankful for that. Yes. I'm thankful that, um, that you are not in that much pain. And, and I think as I was talking to your husband texting, I said, thank goodness, you know, she is a healthy weight because this recovery would have been much harder. And oh yeah. So just going vegan, just going, I went vegan about six months ago and y'all know about it. I've said some of it on my show. I dropped 20 pounds really quickly and then uh, went another 10 pounds after about uh, four months into it. So mm-hmm. I am definitely 30 pounds less than I was before. I, I, I'm in my ideal body weight right now and um, had more exercise this whole summer and just, just feeling really healthy going into this. But never do you expect to have to be, you, you think, oh, I'm only going to be a patient if I'm in a car wreck or if I'm a that rare thing that you think never is going to happen. And in 56 years of life, I have never had what happened to me happen before. Yeah. And why don't you uh, tell our listeners a little bit about what happened? Yeah. So um, my husband has a company that has a boss that about five bosses up that's very generous with everybody down, down his um, group and offers his beautiful home in Maine for you to have for however many days you want sometime in the year. And so we had taking them up on it six years ago, fell in love with it, brought all the kids here and almost all of them have moved out except for two. So we came, we decided we we're going to get, get, have a last hurrah here with the two of them before they move away. And we got here on Saturday night, flew into Boston and then drove four hours out into the country of Maine, deep country of Maine, not too far from the, the coast. And we were having a great time every day kayaking and canoeing. And it's on a gorgeous lake that you can just, you feel like it's an ocean. It's just so beautiful with giant rocks in it and all that kind of stuff, boulders really. And um, enjoying lobster in the night, looking forward to all the food that was going to be up here. And on this particular day, yesterday, I um, was in the front of the canoe. My husband was paddling behind me and the boys were in the kayak. And we got out, to, we were going to go to Ferry Island. And as I was approaching Ferry Island, which I couldn't wait to get back on, I asked them, I said, why don't we get, we're going to go to the Pebble side, right? Where we parked last year. And uh, last time we were here and he says, no, the boys found this rock side that would be better go up. So that was the first red flag. <laughs> Pebbles <laughs> would have been better. And number two, as we approached it, we were trying to all measure which side, who was going to park where and deciding. And um, we got up against these flat, long rocks. And um, I had not put on my Tevas that day, my hiking sandals. Yeah. I pack, I put on my joggers, my running tennis shoes, because my Tevas were so wet. So I he slid up on the bank. And I, I think in my mind, I thought I was putting my foot down on a dry part of the rock. But it was a little bit of an angular rock. And when I took, put my left foot out, and put it on the angular rock, um, my shoe slipped, um, my left foot slipped basically toward my right foot, toward the canoe and into the water. And I busted it on my left hip so hard, so fast. I mean, I knew instantaneously that I was in trouble because the pain was so bad. And as long as I didn't move for a second, my brain was trying to reconcile with Michelle's typical brain, like, oh, this is okay, this is gonna be okay, you're not gonna be in trouble. Mm-hmm. And I tried to move and the pain was so bad that I, I started blacking out and told them that my boys are now, everybody's panicking. And um, I start blacking out and warned them that I'm in trouble. 
And um, I, very little is, I don't remember how they actually got me in the boat, to be honest with you, but they got me into the canoe and slid down into the bottom of it and, um, and made, had to be boated across the lake about a half mile and got to the shoreline. The house is on a cliff-like side of the shore. So I, in my mind, I thought, oh, if I can just get into the house, everything's going to be fine. Just if they can get me to the house and I can lay down, I'll be fine. So they got me to the shores and the shores are full of boulders. Um, and there's a dock. And the first one was how to get mom up and out. And to the first step, there's one step up to the, to the dock. And in that transfer, we're nurses. So we think like five steps ahead minimum or 10. Like I'm going to turn you to your side. You're going to slide to the edge of the bed. You're going to put your feet flat on the floor. Then I'm going to wrap my hands around you. You're going to put your hands around my neck and then we're going to lift. That's how we think. Yep. We have all these processes and I live that life all the time. That's how nurses are. And it has been a frustration pretty much all my marriage with my family at times when I'm like, guys, we have to step through the processes, talk about what's going to happen. <laughs> right. So I was literally telling them, okay, let's talk. I'm semi-conscious. Would you all please, let's just talk through the steps because I could tell I was in trouble and they were at risk too on the boulders and they were not doing that process talk. And in their attempt to lift me from the canoe up to the first step, my husband, I thought broke my left rib because his hand went. So and we heard it click and it was very painful. And I thought, Oh gosh, that's the end of the, I've got a broken rib now. And they put me up on the side of the dock and they could barely think what to do next. They couven't figure out what to do. And there was an Adirondack chair there. So they made a plan that the goal was going to just take mom straight to the chair. And when I got in that chair by the skin of my teeth, I'm like, they're going to hurt me worse because they're not thinking about stabilization. They're not medical. And I said, call 911. I'm not going to be able to make it up to that house. I don't think we all. So just do it. And in my mind, at that point, when I reconciled, I am a patient now. I am not Michelle, the solve it girl figure it out. I, I blacked out one other time because of the pain of the move. And we waited for the ambulance people to come <clears throat> and thankful for me, blessed for me. <clears throat> they were having a meeting not too far away, it, you know, because I was in the middle of nowhere, but they were all having a meeting at the firehouse. So about seven, seven um, uh, EMT showed up at my, this house and came down the little cliff to the dock <laughs> And it took four men, you know, putting me in their transport chair. I didn't know. I thought I was only going to be stuck with a, a stretcher, put me in a transport chair and um, took them four of them. And I could tell who was the strongest because there'd be a little tilt to one of the older men's um, side. And it was my bad side. I was like, "Ooh, I wish Mr. Muscles was over here on the left side. <laughs> but they, they got me up to the top of the hill and it was because it was not that safe for them either. And put me in the ambulance. I got a really sweet ambulance driver on the way there. And I said, you know, we got to talk about pain medicine and what you're going to do to me and all that jazz. Because <clears throat> I don't want, nar I don't do well with narcotics. I, I tend to get respiratory depression and don't do so well. So he um, told me about my options. And we had about a 45 minute drive to the hospital they thought was most appropriate for me because of my medical history. And on the way there, we had 
great conversation about nasal oral sanitation, why they should have iod- all of them should have iodine nasal spray and gargle in their possession. And why <laughs> what what drug did the- they give you? What drug did they, <laughs> they give you? For- oh wow! So your pain was no, no, controlled. I was on no drugs. I I didn't have any drugs until he said, "Let's wait until because he was going to give me fentanyl snort." That was what I agreed I would do because I knew it was short acting. I said, "I want my brain to be functioning." to be able to talk for myself and cause I have a long medical history. So anyways, I get there and he gives me my snort of fentanyl, but, not, but our whole 45 minutes was wonderful. Just a whole bunch of talk about the, what he's experienced during COVID, what it was like. He said, he's seen a lot of people with um, shocking heart attacks, so much of an uptick of heart attacks and blood clots and um, other syndromes that he's never, and this man's been doing it for 25 years. So he notices that the COVID vaccinated people are the ones that I told him that he needs. I told him the same thing. I told my daughter, who's a student nurse. I said, you've got to find a way to put in your notes about every patient, whether they're COVID-19 vaccinated or not. So it's on record. It's a reasonable question. But Mm -hmm. if they're doing something bizarre and something's unusual, you may be helping them in their lawsuit one day and you need to have it documented. And nobody had ever told him that before. So he was was like, yeah, I guess we'll, we'll start doing that. And he's an, he's an allergy person and um, immune mist puts out a nasal spray for allergy people. So I'm like, oh, I'm shipping you some. You're so wonderful. So we had a great time and then got to the ER and um, you know how things can be. So we can talk about that. Um, I was amazed that they rolled me, not the EMTs, but the people at the front said, have you been registered? Okay, well, stroll, roll her over here on her stretcher and let's get, let me get her registered. And my husband had already said he was going to do it, but not everybody has the benefit of somebody, a family member walking in the building with them. And I thought how amazing it is that you would actually put somebody right off of an ambulance into a little portal with a check-in clerk to get you checked into the hospital. Like what happened to coming to the bedside? (laughs) Did I get back there and get triaged first? Right. I mean, because you're, you're a trauma patient at this point. So they should have thrown a clot right there. Yeah, they should have assessed you first. Um, The only thing I could say on their behalf is that you were a walk, not a walkie talkie, but you were talking, you weren't in pain. So, you know, to in their eyes, they're like, all right, excruciating pain. I just had just gotten my fentanyl and they and I had my hip tilted just enough to keep me from moving. But if it moved even a half inch, I mean, it was excruciating pain in my left hip. Yeah. And they didn't even ask if I was in pain. You know, they didn't inquire, but it's okay. You know, it worked out. So that got done. And then I get taken to the, um, where the ER rooms are. And they're like, oh, well, we don't have any beds. You have to put her, put her in one of those, uh, put her in the lobby. So I went to the lobby and sat for about 20 minutes in a stretch on a stretcher um, with a very sweet volunteer that kept covering me up with good blankets because I had uncontrollable shivering at that point. And I said to the people who acted like they cared, I said, you know, that can be shock. So could we get somebody to come look at me and make sure I'm not just freezing? Um, So that was a shocker to have been put on a stretcher off of an ambulance into a lobby. Yes. And then they brought me back to the ER rooms where the patients go and the head nurse or whatever said, we have no rooms. You know, we still have any rooms. So anyway, long story short is I get back into my room and... I probably had to wait a couple a couple of hours before I got any imaging, like an hour and a half to maybe two hours before I got even an X-ray of my hip. 
Excuse and, me? Wow. Yeah. That long of Kimberly, a wait. Kimberly, Kimberly, wow. you hearing this? I didn't have, yes. that, I didn't have an IV. I didn't have what? anything. Nobody was, oh nobody took my medical history. So I said to them, I said, listen, I'm high risk. I'm complicated. I think I have a broken hip and I think we need to get me, you know, I need an imaging because I need pain relief. <clears throat> and um, it was, thank goodness I was able, when I finally happened, I was rolled into the x-ray room. And my husband, of course, is forced out of the room. And I, I said to my husband, I said, don't leave because I, I'm afraid for them to move me wrong. Um, but he stayed outside the door. And so I was left alone with a radiologist. And he was about to attempt to tell me how he was going to get me off the stretcher onto the thing. I said, no, no, no. Let's just slide that plate underneath me here. I don't think we should do that. And I texted my husband and said, tell the nurse to come help me. Because I just didn't know how good he was going to be at moving me. So, so hold on. Let, let me and, just let me just make sure I'm understanding this. You go to x-ray by yourself with just the radiologist. Exactly. Or with the technician. There's no other nurse. There's no tech to help move you from the stretcher onto the table. Well, he had some other people in the back room. I could hear their voices back there. So he may have been to ask them to help me. But. But all I knew was I didn't know what mechanics he knew. So I asked for the nurse to come back and Chris got my um, nurse to come back in and she was immediately you know, worried. And they saw that I had on blue jean shorts with the metal buttons. And he had said, we need to take off your pants. I'm like, no, 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 we're not taking off my pants by yourself. Well, I mean, I need somebody to help pull these off. They were soaking wet. From okay. The so I need, I need people to understand this process. I mean, as an emergency room nurse, you have a call that you have um, a patient that cannot move, that is in excruciating pain. It took four people to to move you to the chair on the ambulance. You arrive in the ambulance, you arrive via ambulance and they don't assess you like your gene should have been cut off. You should have went <laughs> straight to CT or X-ray, right? Right. And this is exactly. a couple hours later. You have no IV. You have not talked to a nurse to get an assessment. They don't know your medical history other than what the, I mean, did the ambulance what driver was, give report to the nurse while you were there? He didn't have my, he didn't have my history either. He, I just told him my biggest high risk is that I have a blood clotting disorder. I have multiple sclerosis and I'm a previous stroke survivor. So those are the three most important things that you need to know about me in this situation. Yeah. And so he knew those three things. So if he reported that off, that would maybe it should have done exactly what it should have done, which is make you nervous enough to triage me fast. Right. Yes. Um, but the, the opposite did happen. So the triage had still not happened. And I'm finally back. I mean, they basically said, you know, what's your situation? What's your pain level? And that's it. And we're going to come back in here and start your IV and and um, do that soon. But that never happened before I got to the, this x-ray point. So the nurse comes in and she um, helps pull down my shorts, which was very painful um, because I'm having to lift my hip off the, off the bed. And then I have to keep lifting every time he puts a new board underneath my hiney, because that's what happens for x-rays. You have to be slid under with a board. So the x-rays get done and I get to go back and probably within the hour, um, the ER doctor comes in and says, you do have a broken left hip and it is a um, like the ball of the hip femur 
is the head and then there's this neck and then you have the long femur bone. He says the neck of your femur has crushed up into your, um, the, the ball of your femur, the head. And I was just, I had been just praying like, Lord, please just anything, just don't let it be broken. Like when you're in that waiting time, that time in the ER, before you know what's actually wrong with you, your brain is trying to play through what could I have done differently? You, you want so desperately to go back in time and say, if I could only just have stepped this way or that way, it, I wouldn't be here. And what is this going to mean to my life? Because I have really had a very good quality life for the last three years. No, hardly any doctor interventions. I've intentionally avoided them, stayed clear of them because they avoided me so badly in 2020 because I had COVID. And they showed me who they were. And I'm like, well, I'm not going, I don't even want to be in y'all's presence. I don't even want, I'm going to do this on my own. I'm going to the naturopathic doctors. I'm going to the integrative doctors who actually do something for you. So I had been living like that for three years. And here, and I knew that if I have a broken hip, I'm back in all of the allopathic world again because of no option. I'm sitting here in a hospital. I'm going to have to have a very likely antibiotics, something I don't want to have at all. And anyways, that's that was this terrible news because I've had so many major medical things happen in my life that the last thing I wanted, last thing I wanted was to make part of my story again, another medical story. And and there was, I found out that was my trap. And they're like, the surgeon's going to come here and talk to you. You'll probably have surgery in the morning. And your brain's like, what? Yeah, I'm in Maine. I live in Georgia. Right. Can't do this. So so y'all may want to say something, so I won't continue yet. Y'all say whatever you want and I'll tell you the rest. Yeah, Kimberly. Yeah, I mean, I just can't believe that this is where we're at, that you had a traumatic incident. They waited that long to get you to x-ray when you could have, like as you mentioned, could have been throwing a clot. Um, And I, I know the ER nurses don't think about this sort of thing, but as an ICU nurse, I'm like traumatized that they left you in wet shorts because I'm thinking about your skin. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and I just, I can't, I just can't believe this is where we're at. Like, why are we not assessing? Why are we waiting to, to give access? Right. Mm-hmm. You don't have any IV access. Do we, you know, are we just waiting until, you know, cause when, when it goes wrong, it goes wrong quick, right? Exactly. We need access. The first thing you should be doing is getting IV access. Yeah. And I was shivering. So the room was probably 20 degrees and everybody that came in said, Oh my gosh, ma'am, do you like it this cold? I, and they all joked about how many blankets I had on top of myself. Cause I probably had eight on me. Cause I was so, so. Cause you're probably in shock. Yes. And I, and the sh- every time I shivered, every single shiver was causing me to flinch my leg, which would cause me to hurt myself. So I was literally causing myself pain just to be cold. Right. And that nobody knew what to do with the temperature because that, that's the least priority in the emergency room is whether or not your patient's cold or hot. And thank goodness the girl that came in finally for the labs, she knew what to do and went to the thermometer and all of a sudden the room started stabilizing as a normal room temperature. And I'm like, I'm so thankful for you. And let me just admit something else. I'm a Georgia girl. I talk a lot. I don't know a stranger. I am a very friendly person. I didn't expect that to be the case here, to be quite honest with you. And everybody I came in contact with in this hospital was just so sweet until, you know, a new thing happened. But wonderful patient care, wonderful attentiveness. Once they got to me and the nurse I got assigned, I felt like she was so attentive and aware. And she was raised in South Carolina. But anyways, it was just a really great uh, 
people experience. But when it t- came down to the medical knowledge and the uh, issues, that that was a, a frustrating problem. So I finally got my IV, and I was real thankful for that. And they bolused me with a thousand uh, liter, a thousand cc's, and um, and then I get the surgeon to come in, and he breaks the hard news to me about. Yeah, you may want to get in. You may think you want to go get, go home and you find yourself a surgeon back in your home state. But here's the deal. I don't think you can actually do it. He says, I there to be on an airplane for nearly four hours to drive. I had to drive four hours and fly four hours and drive an hour just to get home. And he said, you aren't going to be able to manage the pain. The pain is going to be unmanageable. And he says, right now you have what's called a um, a it's like crushed, he says, but if it rotates, if that ball in one bad move that you make on this trip rotates, you're looking at a partial hip replacement, which is big time surgery. He says, right now I'm going to, I'm just going to do a 20 minute surgery on you, put three little holes on the side of your hip, is slide in some a wire in each of those and then screw in three titanium screws and you're out minimal. He says that you might lose five milliliters of blood, which of course brought up the next Thing in this COVID era was I'd already written on my record when I signed in, no vaccines are to be given to me. And I initial that I am to receive no blood products. If blood is to be administered, I want you to do cell savage salvage where they collect your own blood during the surgery and give it back to you. He says, well, you won't even lose five milliliters. He says, so if you end up hemorrhaging, he says, I'm going to have to give you blood products. And so I'd already reached out to unjected official that I represent. And we can put that in the show notes. And said, ask them, do, could I get blood if I need it? And just thinking of all the things I've been telling my patients for the last three years for themselves, everybody's clamoring for what if I end up hospitalized? So all of a sudden, I'm the patient having to figure it out. Like I've got to have, a, I asked for a power of attorney to be brought in so I could write some things about my wishes, who was going to make decisions. I was, I, I added Nurse Jody as one of them with two of my family members. And I wrote that all three had to agree on the, the plan of care, making decisions for me, because I think it takes um, a very smart person that knows their knowledge really well and somebody who's 100% devoted to you and loves you, doesn't want you to die, um, to, to at least at a minimum have on your PO, POA, somebody who's willing to fight for you. Yeah, and, and it's always um, nice. It's always nice when you can have a critical care nurse added to that, you know, as guidance yeah. and in your directives was we all three need to agree on, you know, whatever um, outcome or whatever, you know, procedure or anything that happened. So yeah. that, that, that is, yeah, that that's great. If you guys have a nurse that um, is awake, <laughs> it's probably uh-huh. knowledgeable and knowledgeable uh, to, to have them as, you know, at least someone that they could, you know, talk to. Um, but here, here you go. I will speak from, you know, a trauma nurse perspective. That all of that, like, I'm happy that they were, you know, nice to you, but they did not do a primary assessment, you know, that that should have been done immediately. And maybe even on the ambulance, right, is to do a, a primary assessment and say, what else is going on with her? Is there anything else that we need to be looking at? You know, um, how is her back, you know, um, taking yeah. off the shorts there? That was horrible care in my in my perspective. And as, you know, it's a, a shocking nurse. You know, it's a shocking about that, Joby, is that I literally say to my patients all the time that say, 
oh, when we call and check on grandma who's in the COVID unit, the nurses are so sweet. And I said, well, let me tell you what sweet is. Sweet answers your questions. Sweet complies with what the family members are requesting. And I said, sweet doesn't tell you the policy is you can't have what you want and the patient can't have what they want. Sweet is I'm advocating for the patient and I am avoc- I'm going to give you your wishes or bring, bring somebody in here to help me fulfill your wishes. And so I even had been that person to tell people that's what a good advocate is. And I was being in the critical state myself, just so thankful for compassionate, friendly people that I was not. And my husband has never, I, I've always said, I don't want to end up in the hospital with you because he's not the kind of person that notices and advocates and, and attacks people when they do wrong things yeah. um, where I'm used to being that person. So right. here I was here. Well, I was on, on the second and when we come back from break, we're going to hear what a, what a, um, educator you are just by nature, you know, um, guys will, will talk a little bit more, um, about that on the second half of the break, but nurse Michelle gave everyone she came in contact with, uh, education on dilute povidone iodine. One of our sponsors here on Nurses Out Loud is Cofix RX, and it is a dilute povidone iodine solution that kills greater than 99% of viruses and bacteria in your nose and mouth. And so um, check out our sponsors at americaoutloud.shop for your exclusive discount for Nurses Out Loud listeners, and we'll be right back. It's time in this world. Hey everyone, Nurse Kimberly Overton here from Nurses Out Loud. Over time, our cell signaling molecules diminished, leaving us vulnerable to the wear and tear of life. With the Sea of Redox, you can restore and revitalize your body at the cellular level. This is an incredible product that I personally use and can attest to seeing fantastic results, including better sleep, increased energy, improved mood, and a decrease in my joint pain. ASEA supports your immune system, enhancing your body's natural ability to repair itself. It promotes overall well-being so that you can experience a new level of vitality and resilience. It's time to take control of your health and experience the power of ASEA. Visit our online store today at americaoutloud.shop and use promo code OUTLOUD to save 15%. Be sure to tune in to Nurses Out Loud Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern. For 25 years, Global Healing has proudly produced the highest quality supplements and cleansing programs that are rooted in nature and backed by science. Get 15% off all of our products using code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. You've heard Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company discuss the harmful effects of spike protein in your body, and now they found the solution. The miracle enzyme natokinase. Their spike support formula contains natokinase the most compelling and scientifically supported approach to safely clear spike protein out of the body. What's more, spike support is optimized with other all-natural, non-GMO ingredients, like dandelion root, to help prevent spike protein from binding to your cells. Everyone should take daily spike support so you can feel your best. America Out Loud listeners, 
can go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. AmericaOutloud.news is beaten to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, troubled, misled, joyful, and thankful. We know you because we are you. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. guys welcome back thank you for joining us on this episode of nurses out loud i'm your host nurse jody o'malley filling in for nurse michelle on the first half of this program we listen to nurse michelle's traumatic experience of breaking her hip and what it was like to be a patient in the emergency room Now we're going to touch base on what the process was like and what it's been like for her for the last 24 hours as an inpatient. Nurse Michelle is about to complete 24 hours of post-op after surgery. So she is officially on what we would call day or post-op day one. And all right, Michelle, let us, let us know how was it that, you know, when you woke up first from surgery, what it, what was it like when you got to the floor where you were going to stay in your room? Tell us about that. Yeah. So when I first got transferred to my room, I found out quickly that they still do see me private rooms here in this um, particular hospital. So sadly I had another um, woman who was in the same bad situation I was in and she has a hip replacement as a 70 plus year old person. And has had many of them. So she was able to give me comforting words about her own recovery post-hip surgery. So that was really nice. And it was really just a waiting game of, uh, should we even let you do the surgery at 930 um, tomorrow morning? Because you have such a critical history, we need to make sure you're even safe to go in. So I had to keep waiting for the hematologist to clear me. And when she heard my whole history, she's like, okay, we know that these are the things we need to change about. And she says, yes, you're going to have to do this. But yeah, you're not the ideal surgery candidate by any means. So I got my clearance finally, and they kept me on a 9.30 a.m. schedule. And I was able to get go in for surgery at 9.30 in the morning um, yesterday. And at that point, Michelle, who is a bit of a control freak, I think, I don't know if you know everybody's not that way, but you know you're out, your bot, you're out of your control zone. When something like this happens to you, I had thought through any case scenario I could to avoid the surgery and came up wanting and realized, I don't know anything about this hospital. I've never met any of these doctors. This is not, I know nothing. And um, I and I wrote, out, wrote to Dr. McCullen, Dr. Ben Marble, and Dr. Robert Scott Bell, and Dr. Ben Benulis and said, okay, this is what's going on. I need somebody to tell me, is there a freedom doctor up here who can advocate for me or talk to me or find me a surgeon and nobody had any names and but they the two uh, integrative doctors had lots of suggestions for me post-op to help me recover for which I'm thankful and Dr. McCullough gave me a note that says you're going to do fine it's, you're, you're not going to lose any blood you're going to be good and gave me those confidence um, that that was the case so by that point I was at peace as I rolled away in to be sedated and put to sleep 
So I really liked the surgeon. He was really wonderful person, very much attentive to detail and gave me the confidence. But the one thing they told me before I went in is there is a 10 to 15% chance of getting um, necrotic that the the head of the, the, of the femur could have kinked blood flow to it. And they said in the next six weeks, we'll know whether or not that happens because your the head of your femur will start to rot and, and die and you'll end up with a hip replacement surgery. And I, that was really hard just even knowing 10% because I tend to be the one that falls into that category. And I, I tried not to be negative and think it, but you know, it kind of broke me thinking, Oh gosh. So if I agree to this surgery is still not enough, I still could end up with worse things happening to me which we know is the case in allopathic medicine. Errors happen. The third leading cause of death is medical error. Mm-hmm. And he says, you've got, I already have osteoporosis and osteopenia I had for years because I have a condition called hyperparathyroidism that m- makes it start early. So anyways, I wake up after surgery, of course, in the recovery room. And I'm told that it was very short and brief, like it was supposed to be. No complications happened. And in a previous surgery, the doctor had come out and said to my husband, oh, we've got to make this critical decision. We didn't want to take out both of our ovaries, but this is what we found and we need you to prove <laughs> us to take out the ovary. And he made that decision that altered my life and really put me into a very bad medical decision. Oh, wow. Situation that took me five years to recover from. And he um, he said, oh gosh, I don't want to be in that situation. And so that's why there were three power of attorneys this time that three people would have to decide if there was a new decision to make. Gotcha. And so I came out, found out it all had went well. None of those bad things had happened. And I'm recovering well on just Toradol, and that's a non-narcotic. So I'm post-op now, never took a narcotic before, didn't take a narcotic afterwards. was very happy about that and quickly realized Toradol wasn't strong enough <laughs> for this particular pain. And I ended up with a fentanyl um, injection, which definitely took it, and I was so thankful for it. And then when I'm starting to wheel back through the nurses area, they're taking me through they informed me that there's a COVID outbreak in the hospital and that several patients were on my floor, the med search floor. Who told you this? Um, the mass people transporting me to my room. They said, so, we're going to be. Okay. So they're the just talking. <laughs> the, 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 you, you mean the PACU nurse? <laughs> probably, probably so. And whoever was transporting, I'm trying, I think it was actually transport guys. No, they were just they, the, the well, if, if you had, if you did not have your PACU nurse coming and taking you to the room to give report at the bedside to another RN, um, and they just wheeled you up from surgery with transport. Yeah. Um, that's, that, a <laughs> that's a problem. <laughs> oh, great. So that's what my memory is. It's just those two men that were just kind of having to listen to Miss Nurse Michelle talk her head off to them. Because if you got me, you're stuck with me. I'm going to make sure to tell you a thing or two. <laughs> so, so they were. I, just, oh, go ahead, Kimberly. No, I was just saying there was some education happening. Uh, I, I couldn't believe when I saw the video and I see Michelle with her nasal spray and she's, I was like, yeah, you can't keep Michelle down. There's no way. I know so, all of us nurses in our in our group chat, our nurses out loud group chat, we're like, I, I screenshotted uh, Michelle posted on Instagram a story. And I was like, only Michelle would be like, all like doing a commercial. <laughs> doing a commercial at the best <laughs> 
<laughs> well, it was relevant. <laughs> it was very relevant. Oh, it was great. It was great. It was great to see you. It was great to see how how well you were actually doing. But I want to fast forward to uh, the mask because that yeah. was that was something that got our chat fired up. Yes. So yes. talk to us about that. What what happened? So, so you're being I got wheeled, put in my you're yes. you're wheeled in and with no mask on coming from surgery, correct? Correct. Through the hallways, no mask uh -huh. on. You get to and your room. And then somebody must have said something about it. And I said, oh, I'm going to have a problem with that. And so we got into the room and a couple of nurses came in too um, at that point. So they probably did pass off to a nurse and did what they were supposed to do, whoever it was. I don't remember. But they then said, um, you're going to be having to wear a mask while in the hospital. And I had oxygen on because I was desat and my, my, my O2 sats were going down based on, for, cause I took a narcotic Yeah, and, um, they had put me on oxygen. I said, I have a, I have oxygen on, I'm not about to cover my breathing area. I'm not going to be doing that. And they said, Oh, it's policy. You know, we've got a COVID outbreak. You're going to have to do it. And your husband's going to have to do it. I said, well, I just need you to understand something. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to take I'm not going to wear a mask. I said, I, I use my iodine nasal spray and throat spray before I went in surgery. I did it after I, I do it. I'll do it right here again. There's nothing in my nose because I just sprayed it there. I can't spread anything. And therefore I'm saying I'm willing to take the risk of whatever's going around this hospital because I already know I'm not going to get it because I got this in my nose. And if you require that I test, well, you're going to have to give me a saliva test because you're not going to stick anything up my nose either. And I said, that's just the way it is. I'm just not going to be compliant. And I said, if you have a problem with it, you know, you're probably gonna have to go get some authority in here and I'll tell them the same thing. And <laughs> good, for um, they, good for you. <laughs> and so uh, I was maybe 15 minutes later in comes somebody who was the nurse manager. And she says, I understand, you know, that you're not wanting to follow the policy of the hospital to wear a mask. And I said, no, I'm, I'm not going to be wearing a mask. And uh, she says, well, you know, you're going to have to do that. I said, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to be here with my oxygen on and I'm not going to wear a mask. And sorry, not sorry. And um, I told him about the iodine. I said, honestly, the hospitals that are smart in this country are already providing iodine for their um, nursing staff when an outbreak like this happens. And I said, at a minimum, they would be telling you to put nose in. I said, do you know what nose in is? I said, yes. I said, okay, well, you would be putting nose in, in OZIN around your nostrils so that at least it doesn't nothing can pass up into it without getting killed. But I said, the trouble with nose in is it's just alcohol. You can't put it up in your nose, whatever you've already inhaled. I said, it's already replicating in your nose. And I said, I know two of the world's, the state's country's leading industrial hygienists. And I said, all you sitting here with your N95 masks on, you had to be fitted by an industrial, um, uh, what did I, I said the right word, what are they called? Industrial, industrial hygienists. Hygienists. Yeah. I said, I, I know the two, two leading industrial hygienists for a fact, would tell you that N95 mask isn't protecting you from COVID either. Mm -hmm. And I said, for the record, I'm a nurse and you're a nurse. And we all know we weren't taught about what pathogens pass through these masks, but they know what pathogens pass through it. So you're not doing anything for you. But if you are worried about me, then you're, aren't you thinking your mask is helping you? You're protected, aren't you? You've got a mask on. So, so don't worry about what I don't have. I'm willing to take the chance. And I said, but I need to know about my husband. He says, well, if he doesn't wear one, he'll be asked to leave the hospital. And um, so if he, uh, if anybody comes in this room, he's going to have to have a mask on and you're going to have to have a mask on. I said, well, I'm not, 
going to. And he decided to be compliant when they came in because he didn't want to get kicked out. But I mean, well, okay. So let let me, let me go back. So nurse Michelle's talking about Kristen, Megan and Tammy Clark. I did a show with them last week. Uh, I believe it's titled surgeon Jerome Adams tweeted. He failed to follow the science. That is a, it was an explosive um, interview that I had with them and lots of information in those show notes as well. But I want to take you to the text message that we received from Michelle and in all caps, it says on my floor, exclamation mark, they tried to mask nurse Michelle. (laughs) They told me that they're just following CDC guidelines. Then they told me that they allowed nebulization with budesonide of COVID patients. I told them then, in other words, your hospital broke CDC guidelines by nebulizing budesonide so they can break (laughs) it when it comes to nurse Michelle as well. And she sent uh, an article and, and it's from... Uh, the let's see what it is from uh, CDC updates masking guidelines for healthcare facilities dated May 10th, 2023. And it says the CDC this week recommended healthcare facilities use a risk basis ass- assessment stakeholder input and local metrics to determine how and when to require universal masking to prevent COVID-19 transmission. So it goes on to say that, you know, it's not CDC guideline, right? It's like people just keep repeating these same phrases. And, you know, I apologize to anybody listening because they certainly don't want to sound cruel, but they sound like idiots. You know, it's no, like- they don't just sound like idiots. They are idiots. Joe, did you remember in, at the height of COVID, they had us going in there with bandanas on? I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, your bandanas just fine. Okay. They're walking around. CDC's walking around with pappers and they're like, but the nurses can have a bandana. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The so other I funny said- thing. Uh-huh. Go ahead. What? I said, so I sent nurse Michelle uh, the... American Frontline Industrial Hygiene and Multidisciplinary Support Summit that we did with the experts back in last year. And it's five hours um, and they, uh, you know, listening to the different experts, we had the industrial hygienist, OSHA, uh, safety professionals, uh, neurosurgeon, a nurse, you know, like this is multidisciplinary. This is what should have been happening weekly during the COVID outbreak of individuals in hospital systems and say, what are you seeing? You know, what can we do? What engineering controls can we put into place here that would actually make a difference instead of, you know, the fear compliant mask that we threw on people. But yeah, so yeah. Um, after you dropped that to me, you also said, "Will you tell them while their patients are sleeping between one and four a.m. that they can all have a week? They can come in my room for a watch party, and we'll watch that oh, yeah. video together." <laughs> yeah, Nurse Beth said, um, "Yeah, just have it play and see if you can cast it to your TV, so when they walk in, everybody can get educated." <laughs> so what ended up happening was, of course, because every person that walks in my room, you know, it doesn't matter. I'm going to be sharing some kind of information. And I said, you know, unfortunately, I am you live in the state where um, Do- Governor Mills is representing you. And she broke the Constitution and is still breaking the Constitution right now by mandating all in 
people who own small businesses to force their uh, employees to be COVID vaccinated. I said, and what she did was unconstitutional and illegal. And I said, you know, there's lawyers already coming for her. It'll go to the Supreme Court and she's going to lose. And I said, and for the record, everybody who did these mandates across the country is if litigation, I I told them, I said, there's 400 nurses suing Kaiser Permanente for being fired over the COVID-19 vaccine. And I'm sure you have also experienced suffering here in this in this job with nurses leaving in mass because I'd already been told by the surgeon that we lost, he's, in his words, we lost so many quality doc- nurses and doctors because they were not going to get that vaccine. They left their career. They left this hospital. And I said, so now y'all, all I am assuming, are vaccinated. And so everybody has said they are. And I said, and some of you are injured and don't know it. Some of you may not know you're injured. But we, the nurses at Nurses Out Loud and the nurses and doctors in the medical freedom movement are doing what we can to help you because you may not even know you're harmed already. And so it opened up conversations. And one of the nurses actually revealed to me how badly injured she had actually gotten after the second booster Mm. And is now a follower and ended up with several followers after this, after this was (laughs) over, because I kept telling them things. I came prepared with my iodine nasal spray information to be able to hand out to anybody who showed any interest to give it to them and say, honestly, you just, you should be doing this every day when you come home from work. If you work two twelves a week or three twelves a week, you should do it when you get home. High risk exposures, you should be doing this. I said, because, you know, you do have COVID patients you're in contact with during the day. And there, it's a game changer. It's a game. It's an ender of um, these pathogens. So let's let's get it for you, and maybe you can spread the word around, and even be an affiliate one day, and and help get other nurses to get this product as as well, because the smart hospitals are doing this for their staff instead of doing the mask up. And every time somebody came in my room, they're like, some of them have masks, some of them they all have masks on, but. Um, there's this conversation like we don't know really where this is going. It's just the, the whole new thing over again. I said, well, you have to join the resistance. The answer has to be no. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <the resistance. laughs> I love it. Well, you know why? It's true, though. It it's is true. true. It is true. And and Nurse Michelle you're, has such an amazing, great attitude because in all of this trauma, you know, she was saying God is good. You know, God is good because, you know, th- there were certain different things that had happened, which she's going to share on her show next week. So this would be part two. Um, once all of the meds are out of her body completely. <laughs> She'll share it with you. But so I, we only have a few minutes left here. I do want to talk about, so you won the mask battle, right? You didn't have to put one on. Okay. Oh, what's so funny. They just had to wheel me down to go get to to go practice going up and down stairs and getting inside of their car to see if I could actually travel well. Uh, And I practiced walking today. They were very impressed with my ability to move around. And I didn't feel so impressed because it was pretty painful. Um, but they said I did really well. That was encouraging. They said, I said, if I lived here just a few minutes from the hospital, would you still tell me it's okay to go home tomorrow night? And they said, yes. Okay. So let me ask you a question. Did they pre-medicate you before PT came in? No, I actually had asked for pain relief so I could handle the yeah. PT. And so I did not get a, it. That, that was a fault. Here's another thing that I was concerned about is that when I talked to you this morning, you said that PT had not come in yet and you still had your Foley catheter in. Right. You didn't take it out at, at, during surgery? They, 
No. And the no. reason why, um, did they tell me why? They Everybody kept telling me somebody else was going to take it out. Mm-hmm. And then it was about, then the PT came in and I said, listen, I need the nurse to come in here so I can get this removed. And so she came in and removed it. But when it came time to leave, I decided to try something because I knew it was going to be in the hall. And I said to my husband, I said, go get that mask. And they watched me because they already knew I was a non-compliant. And I said, I'm going to dangle it on my ear because it says to wear a mask. Because <laughs> 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 I'm not going to put it over my. It doesn't say put it over my nose and mouth, but I said I'll wear it on my ear. <laughs> Kimberly, okay, I'm going to let you handle this one. When mm-hmm. you had, okay, so your ICU, mm-hmm. so you know your patients were a little bit more critical, but after surgery, it is customary to DC discontinue that Foley within four hours after surgery, because here, here's the word that you hear from us all the time. Evidence-based practice shows that, you know, the, the risk that could come with keeping a, a Foley in longer, you know, increases the longer it's in. And so the fact that a number one, I'll tell you what I know that should have happened. That PT should have came up to see you within four hours after your surgery on the day of surgery. Okay. They should have came up and and got you up and got you moving. And then at that point, after they would do that, then the Foley usually is taken out. If not right after surgery, Kimberly. Yeah, exactly. Typically, it's going to be taken out either before or even out of the OR really is when it should come out. Um, but yes, within four hours. So and there's there are standing orders. There are standing orders in the computer for the nurse. They know that they're supposed to take that out. And many times it's left in by a lazy nurse. And I yep. hate to say that, but it's the truth. It is the um, truth. It, it, you know, it is. It's the truth. It's because, you know, then, you know, the nurse isn't going to have to deal with helping you to get up or ambulate. But at the you at the why not use a pure wick if they were going to do oh, anything? Okay, so they did. They actually did because um, I was struggling. I, I um, couldn't get up during my broken hip time before my surgery. Mm-hmm. And I said, I don't think I'm going to be able to get up on a bedpan. I said, but I'm, I have MS, so I, it would not be common for me to not notice I need to go. And I think I need something. And they did an ultrasound of my bladder. It had a thousand cc's sitting in it because they had bolus me after I finally got my IV. And I'm like, I can't even, I don't think I can do anything with this. What are y'all going to do? This is before I even see the surgeon the first time. And they put pure wig on. But for anybody who's ever done that, it for me, it was impossible. I, it did not functionally work for me. I don't know if my brain just couldn't get past the fact that there's something there. So um, I unsuccessfully eradicated a thousand cc's. So when they put the Foley in right at the surgery, that was, of course, I looked like I was 20 weeks pregnant up until that moment because my bladder was so full and uh, my bladder was very happy to get that obviously, but it should have come out sooner. I know it should have. Um, and when they got back to the room and put me here, they told me, you know, they're going to come back t- again tomorrow and clear me one last time to see that I'm, I'm progressing. But before they came in and removed all this stuff, I had been immobilized since I had come into the hospital and only movement I got was whatever they did to me in the surgery. So I my under my left knee and around my left knee, I was getting some significant pain today. And I said, I'm a blood clot person. And I don't even have on those little squeezy things on my legs. They don't have SCDs on you? No, they would never have. And now I'm up sitting at a chair. 
on a post-op on a post-op hip patient you did not have a blood clotting yeah and i had a blood i have a blood clotting disorder so i already am a risk and i said i'm kind of surprised that isn't standard of care here that y'all would just do that and i said she said there's an older hip person beside me and i said i hope i hope she has one and they can't tell it because i hope she's got her legs getting squeezed Wow. But anyways, none of that's ever happened. And now I'm mobile and my knees don't hurt as bad anymore. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's actually trauma. I think it's a trauma to my left knee. I don't know how it happened, but maybe because I was having severe Charlie horses on my thigh because of the spasms to the, the trauma to the muscle. Mm-hmm. And the Charlie horses were yanking my hip and causing excruciating pain. So um, I think they're just extremely sore from all their Charlie horses yesterday. But yes, that's where I am. I'm in that situation. Um, they're all the nurses are frustrated because they're trying to figure out what's the rules going to be like this time. And obviously, y'all remember what it was like during COVID. It was kind of make it up as you go. And we're, they're now staff that have watched a lot of their um, employees walk away, leave over different reasons. And now they're probably shorter staffed and resenting it, I'm sure, themselves. And one of the nurses says it makes her sick. She actually comes home and has like an asthma attack, having to wear N95 for 12 hours straight. So, my gosh, I I cannot wait to hear your show next week. I think it's going to be very powerful. You know, I'd also love to know like the average um, education of of the nurse, not education of experience that's on that floor now, because it surely sounds like even with Kimberly and I going back and forth with ER, ICU nursing um, uh, assessments on all of this, they dropped the ball many, many times, multiple times, multiple times. But Michelle, I'm so happy that you are doing great. Um, I'm happy that you got up and you moved and, you know, Lord willing, you will be out of there today, Lord, that you'll be able to pee. Hopefully you'll be able to pee now that that full I have, I've done it already. (laughs) Okay, good. We can end on that note. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's all the time we have for today, friends. But remember, we are here on air five days a week, Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern with a different nurse host daily. Please be sure to tune in and listen to myself and my amazing sister nurses. As we walk you through all of these hot topics, we will empower you with information and education. We will advocate and we will stand in the gap for you because we are nurses and this is what we do. I'm your host, Nurse Jodi O'Malley, filling in for Nurse Michelle today. And you can find her here every Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern with an encore at 11 p.m. So please be sure to make AmericaOutloud.news your daily stop for all the latest news and happenings. We all must do our part and share the stories, the articles, the podcasts and videos so we can help secure America's future. Until next time, be safe, be well, and God bless. It's time and